often you experience things like that, this, but you can imagine being at an intersection and there is a car that has run out of gas and then strangers just kind of all get out of their cars and, you know, stop traffic and start pushing this car through the intersection and into the gas station so that they can get filled up. Or you're standing in line at a store and the person a few ahead of you is like wrestling, trying to find their wallet or their purse and they just cannot find it. And the person behind them says, hey, don't worry about it. I got you. I'll pay for it. Or maybe you hear a story of a high school student who has teamed up with their parents and is given a part of their allowance to buy a few coats for a kid at school who they notice that the winter is coming has not been wearing a jacket. And after we see a lot of these things, a common phrase can oftentimes be, that restored my faith in humanity. You ever said that? Some little thing that someone does that appears to be like a random act of kindness, and it's like, oh, that, that actually gives me hope in humanity. And as I thought about that phrase and when these things happen, I realized that when we're saying that act has put faith back in humanity, that's, that's brought me hope into humanity, that means that there's a disconnect somewhere. That in all the other times, outside of those actions, we may not be noticing the best of humanity. That we actually experience the worst in humanity. And those become kind of like these little one-off things that just give us that hope or give us that faith that, man, things could be better. And in a world like this right now, with so much cultural division, all that goes on as we spend our lives on social media, politics of this time, it seems like, like all the little niceties and the random act of kindness have just kind of gotten further and further apart. And we oftentimes experience more of the worst and the worst and the worst of the others. And I think these good deeds remind us more of what humanity can be in times like this. In those rare occasions, they can bring so much more. But the challenge, and probably why we don't see these often, one thing is that these acts, these doing for others, the meeting of need, oftentimes asks us of something. It asks us to, to give of something. It, it asks me to actually step into someone else's story. It requires me to be inconvenienced. It asks me to stop what I'm doing and to put someone else's needs before me. And this is hard. In, in, in a culture where what we re really desire is we want to make it in life. We, we, we want to get ahead. We want to be first. We want to be different and, and stand apart. We want to create our own identities by essentially carving out for ourselves some form of a niche where we can actually separate ourselves from pain and suffering and the challenges that others face. And even from our own challenges, we would rather not experience hardship. And we really do not have ambition to suffer with others. It's not on my list when I wake up in the morning. But we will suffer, though, right? Like, we, we will put the extra blood, sweat, and tears in the name of a championship, we will work late hours and miss meals and skip out on family time for the sake of a promotion or a job raise. We will work so hard in our homes for just suffering so that we can have this home project done. Right? Like, we will suffer. We do it all the time. But as one author put it, we are more competitive than we are compassionate. 
Now, we're going to continue our series this morning called The Others, Experiencing God Through Helping Other People. And there seems to be this overarching narrative in Scripture in which God is inviting us into a story where Jesus specifically says, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. What you do for others, you do for me. And what you don't do for them, you don't do for me. There's this this backwards way of inviting us into a story that says giving ourselves away is actually giving ourselves to something greater than we could ever experience just on our own. And that when we actually press into the topics like we've done about justice, we've done generosity, today as we talk about compassion, there's this backwards way that we actually get to experience more when we give ourselves away. And what we're going to do from this in a few Sundays is I'll go on the Church Center app and look at the event, but we're actually going to have a, a separate gathering after this, provide some food, and downstairs talk about what it looks like for Midtown to express itself here in Tower in one or two specific ways. And if you're interested in, in walking through those topics of like, what does it look like for Midtown to be compassionate in Tower? What does it look like for Midtown to step into mercy? What does it look like for, for, for Midtown to own an aspect of justice here in, in Tower? And then we'll look at what it looks like to, to put that into place going into this next year. So if you have interest in those things, like I want to invite you to that as it comes out of us for what Midtown is going to be up to uh, here in Tower from Blackstone to Fruit and Shields to 180. And as, as we continue to gather, as we continue to, to build relationship and press into discipleship, an outworking of that is mercy, compassion, and justice. So go on the Church Center app and sign up for that. Well, my question is, in a world designed by a God of love, are meeting the needs of others supposed to be these extraordinary things, or are they supposed to be ordinary? Are, are they supposed to be these rare occurrences, or are they supposed to be regular occurrences. The writer Paul, an early church planner, he seemed to think that they should be regular events. Spending time with Jesus in the early church, he wrote to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 6.2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and this is the way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, step into each other's story, learn each other's pains and needs that you have, the things that are heavy and weighty in this world on you. Press into other burdens and you will be living up to the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? He would hold it above all else. Say, love God and love your neighbor. When we we actually carry each other's burdens, there's two things. We are actually loving God and we are loving our neighbor. It's not just the thing that we're doing here with the other person. There's a spiritual dynamic in which we are connecting with our creator. We are experiencing God when we press into each other's burdens. And he continues in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And Paul knows what he's talking about. Paul before was Saul, and he went around murdering Christians. Like he was persecuting Christians. He was uh, doing everything he can to stop this movement of people following Jesus. And he has this this radical interaction with a living God, and it it completely changes the way he goes about things. But he's one to know that, that when you sow things into the flesh, when we feed just the natural desires that we have, which I think leads back to that point that we're oftentimes more competitive than we are compassionate. When we only look to ourselves, when we only look to further gain for ourselves, 
we will reap destruction in the flesh. But in the spirit, when we sow things in the spirit, we will experience more in the spirit. When we are following the things that God is prompting us to, when we are opening ourselves up to a creator of love and kindness and goodness, we experience more beyond earthly destruction. We are invited into a greater narrative. And Paul seems to think here as he continues, um, actually I won't go there yet, uh, but it, I think this piece that in the flesh, what he's saying is that like, our actions matter. Like the things that we do and the things that we do with others, they matter. There's consequences to them, good or bad. Those absolutely matter. And then he's saying in the spirit, not only are there consequences here, good or bad, but there is a spiritual connection to the physical. There, there is a reality that we oftentimes will not see when we are living in the physical that is working in and around us. I can remember um, Leslie. Leslie was a part of the last church that we were a part of leading. And uh, we met Leslie at the apartments that, that were around the church. Uh, the number of uh, weeks we would spend just kind of going and being a part of the apartments and meeting people and having conversation. And uh, Leslie was one of the first people we ever met. And she was just, she was wonderful. She smiled. She was happy. Um, she was just encouraging. She was like, oh, where can I be? When can I be there? Like, I, I will, I just want to be around you people and I want to be around you more. Uh, and Leslie was wheelchair bound. Um, Leslie was in a wheelchair and she has, like, if you can imagine a hard life for a human being, she's lived it. Um, just some horrific things in, in her life, and her past. Um, but she would show up pretty much every Sunday and just there to help and there to love and, and there to, to, to do coffee and help usher and just, like, smile at the door and just anything she could do to see other people, she would. She had every reason not to. And I can remember we got to a point where she was helping so much that I figured she needed a key to the building because then she, she could just do stuff. I didn't have to be there. Others didn't have to be there. Like whatever just needed to happen that morning, she could do. And so I remember I, I called her over one Sunday and said, hey, why don't you meet me at the building? And she comes around the corner in a wheelchair, just smiling and happy. And uh, we meet at the front doors. And I say, hey, Leslie, you've been doing a lot here. Um, I'm not asking you to do more. Sometimes, you know, I'm asking you to do less. Uh, but I want you to know that I think at this point, you're doing so much that you deserve a key. And in that moment right there, I mean, I haven't even told the full story yet. She just like, everything in her body just like sinks. Like just this emotion waves over her. And I keep talking. I was like, so what I'm going to do, I, I made an extra key. And to this door right here, like whenever you need the church, whenever you need space for, whenever you're, like whatever you want to do, here's a key. And she just starts bawling just tears rolling down her eyes, like the sad, weepy, like the, the ugly cry type stuff going on. She is so overcome with emotion. And she said, Ryan, nobody has ever believed in me enough to give me a responsibility like this. And I'm looking here, I'm sitting here thinking it's a stupid key to a building. Like th there's like 50 of these out already. I, I, like it's, it's, it's just a key. But to her, it meant the absolute world. It meant that somebody saw her. It meant that someone believed in her. It, it, was, it was something of like restoring dignity. It, it, all the things that have been stolen from her in life because people did not see her of having worth. It, it was a moment where she felt worthy. And again, to me, it was just a key. But this was a reminder, and I think a part of what Paul's getting to is that God can take physical acts and turn them into spiritual acts. 
God, God can take little things that we can do physically, the bags of grocery, the extra money for, gra- for gas, the, the phone call, the random present dropped off. I mean, you go down the list over and over. And like, God can do so much more with those. Because it's not just that someone helped me out in a financial crisis, it's that someone actually cared enough to help me out in a financial crisis. So, so, someone thinks, I, I'm actually worthy to have food on a table to eat or whatever it is. So some believe that they see me so much that they're actually going to help with some kids so that I can go get alone time as a single mother. I mean, you go down the list and down the list, and God wants to do so much more with us meeting needs. Because if it is only us, all we are doing is just meeting needs. But God has invited us into this, this story where, like, that whole Starbucks line and paying it forward kind of a thing can actually transcend just paying it forward for a $6 Starbucks. For most people that can already afford a $6 Starbucks. But God can actually take these physical acts and speak to our spirits, speak to the depths of who we are. Paul goes on in verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. God's invitation is to become other-centered. An other-centered God inviting us to become other-centered. And again, he's saying here that, that in doing good for the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. God is, God is holding something for us, saying something, I have more to give to you. I have things that you will experience spiritually beyond the physical. God can take physical acts and turn them into spiritual acts. And I think there's this thing. No more comments, and I'm going to invite Lydia up. Um, like when we see the people pushing the car against the gas, uh, across the street, Whatever we see going on, these things, like, I think something meets us that says, like, man, that restores humanity in me because I think I have needs. So when I, when I see other people having their needs met, it reaches something so deep in me that's been wired in me to actually need something. And I wonder how oftentimes I push my needs off, that I don't need anything, that I've got it together because I'm told I need to, that I can't reveal any weakness or sadness or emotion. But isn't this who God asks us to be? He asks us to be people in need, and in being people of need, God presents himself. God draws near. He comforts those who need comforting. He wipes the tears of those who are weeping. He, he, provides, uh, he provides provision for those that lack. I mean, you just keep going on and on, but if I cannot first recognize that I myself have need, then how are my needs ever met? And then how can I actually see beyond myself to see that others need their needs met? I think it starts here. And that God is a God that is inviting us to recognize that we have needs. If you go through the tears, if you work through social, emotional, if you work through physical, work through financial, work through relational, like what needs do you have? What needs are present in your life right now? And you can, be, can you be open to let God meet you there? And what we're talking about here, Paul is capturing the essence of God's character and what he saw in Jesus. And that is Compassion. Compassion is one of the first characteristics that God actually reveals himself as. He is compassionate. Jesus, at least 12 times, this this act of compassion in the Greek, it's called swanknizomai. So you take compassion and you put a verb on it and it's Jesus actually moving towards, he is moved by compassion into action. He He does not just have empathy for people in need. He has compassion which is, which is, it is, splunknizomai is actually like the guts, and what it's attaching to is that uh, the, the um, 
I'm going to butcher it, but, or, or, or kirmas is, is the Hebrew of this word compassion, and it actually defines God being a mother to a child, and the compassion actually resides in the womb. It is, it, it is what gives life. It is what actually propels a mother to care for a child, and God paints this beautiful illustration that he is one of compassion, that he, he is one that is opening himself up to pursue you in all your needs. And then he invites us into that same story. This is different than just joining a cause. I know we talked about joining justice and moving into a cause to, to lift people and, and bring balance and rightness to the world. Because this, this is amongst like, the personal realities of life. It, it's, it's when, you're, it's when you're, your boss is being a jerk. It's, it's when you're in some form of financial crisis. It's when your parents are complaining about politics. It, it, it's when the, the, the kids are not sleeping and you're completely exhausted. Like it's, it's amidst these things that we, we still actually find ourselves in a place where we are open to receiving God's compassion, but we are also invited into a story which extends God's compassion. It, it transcends all of these things that we find ourselves day in and day out and invites us to a larger narrative. So I'm just curious for you this morning. One, have you recognized that you have need? And what are those needs? Those kids have needs right now. Like, that's why they scream and cry. Like, that's just a part of it. They have needs. Sometimes I'm like, you need nothing. Stop crying. That's, that also happens. There, there is, there's a limit. Um, but, like, what is it? Have you recognize your needs. And then have you recognized the needs of others? While well, you still have needs. So, let's have a conversation. Uh, Lydia, why don't you just come up? Um, what I've tried to do each week is, like, I want to present a little bit of what Scripture says about these things. And I just want to have a conversation with different people who are doing work, whether it be in our community or the world at large. Um, oh, thank you very much. I was supposed to grab that for you. Compassion. Had a need at the chair and just did it. And if you hold that down at the bottom, it'll turn on. Um, but it, we just want to have conversation. And how, how can these conversations just stir our imagination, stir our heart for these things? Um, just give us some ideas of what these can look like practically as we're imagining. What does it look like for us as a congregation to live some of this out? Um, so we've invited Lydia this Sunday. Uh, she's a part of On Ramps Church, which is a sister church of ours by the Vision 22 Network. And she has, I think, a number of relationships here. And you work with World of Leaf. You live here in Lowell. Um, so let's just start with, can you tell us a little bit more about World Relief and maybe how you got involved initially? Is that on? Boom, nailed it. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so I work with World Relief, and um, our mission is empowering the church to serve the most vulnerable. And so we do that in a couple different ways. Um, we do that in the U.S. through refugee resettlement. Um, so we're one of the five or six agencies from the U.S. government who actually resettle refugees when they come to the U.S. So that's, that's not what I do, but that's one piece of what we do. And then the other side is international development and humanitarian work. So... We empower local churches in the countries where we work to serve their communities. Um, so the attempt is not that we come in as Westerners or as people with money or as people who somehow know something that other people don't, but we come in and we say, here are some tools, here are some resources, here are some things that we can help you with. You go and serve the people in your communities. And so mm -hmm. we do that in a number of different countries. Right now I'm working with Sudan and Haiti. And we've seen this. Um, you, you probably heard about the earthquake in Haiti about a month and a half ago. And we saw our churches really just 
take the tools and the resources that we've taught them over time and pour out into their communities. Um, and so we had our local pastors who were there themselves affected by the earthquake, giving out to their community. They told us, these are the people who need help. These are the areas where we think um, work needs to be done. We jumped in with them and helped them and they went out and did this work. Um, and so we're really trying to not um, foster more dependency or more um, looking towards the West as some kind of savior, but really how does the local church work in their communities? And so that's what we're trying to do there. That's wonderful. Uh, can, you, can you just say a little bit more about that? Like, why not? Why, why not just hand some things out for temporary solutions? What's this idea of empowering those who are already there? Um, well, one piece of it is just dignity. Um, there's been a lot of dignity lost over the years, I think, in terms of um, being recipients. We all know what it's like to be given something or to be pitied. Um, somebody does something to help us because they feel bad for us or because they think we can't do it for ourselves. And that doesn't always feel great. Um, but when someone joins in with you and says, here, let me walk with you. I can see that you're struggling. Let me join you and help you. Um, it it kind of changes the narrative and it shows they still have agency in what they're doing. Um, maybe they just don't have the resources or they don't know the tools or something like that. So it, it's just a way of recognizing the humanity in people mm -hmm. and not saying, let me, I, I know everything, I have the money, I have the tools, let me do this for you. It's saying, you're human, you're suffering, but you also have things to give to your community as well. And that's what a community is, right? It's people working to serve each other. And so when a whole community is just rendered useless because somebody else comes in and does something for them, that community then can't serve one another and build each other up. Yeah. Um, and you know, the end goal is for us to pull back and not have to work in those areas anymore. Mm -hmm. That would be the goal. We're trying to work ourselves out of a job here yeah. really um, and move on to the next community and have the church and the local people be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's good. Uh, what has, how has compassion, the view of compassion, how has that changed for you through this work, the way you view it or engage it? Yeah, I, I think what I, what I just said about humanity, recognizing the humanity in people um, and recognizing the humanity in myself. There's not, um, when you see someone as the other, as those people, you take away their humanity. So I've been working with um, Muslim people in Sudan, um, virtually, from, from all the way in Fresno. Um, there, there are a lot of perceptions about Muslim people in the US and around the world. Um, there have been some radical people who have done some very harmful and radical things in the world, but that's not Muslim people as a whole. And so to say those people, those Muslims, they do these bad things, we don't like them, mm. is to take away their humanity, to say they're, they're them, they're those people. We, we are nuanced, right? I'm not like all of those other Christians who have done harmful things in society. Um, I'm able to see, I've seen in myself, I'm able to see the nuance in myself and less the nuance in other people. And so to recognize the humanity in them is to, um, to kind of let go of those other things that are keeping us apart and to say, you have needs, I have needs, how can we um, work to get those needs filled? And needs are not just physical, right? We all have emotional mm. needs, we all have social needs, we need to feel loved, we need to belong. Um, and those are things 
those are things that we don't always see as needs, especially in humanitarian work, right? Because we're giving out food and um, hygiene and, um, and health, health equipment and things like that. Um, but we all have needs. And so I think a part of compassion for me is just recognizing at the end of the day, they're human, I'm human, the people in our community are human. And that's the thing that, that unites us, right? We are, all, we are all in this journey of being human and part of being human is to suffer um, just in different ways. So um, yeah, I, I think it changes the narrative on how you engage in this work when you are willing to see the humanity in everyone. Yeah, good. Yeah, so, so what I hear is that actually before, before meeting needs or stepping into needs, in order for the work, the way you guys are going about it is not just to come in and, and yeah, keep dependence going, but to actually recognize the humanity that's there, the value that's there, and then work towards needs. So there's still a, there's a change in the way I view other people that needs to happen or should or could happen first that then starts to move me outwards towards others, especially those who are different. So what's, so as you're, as you're working with different churches in different areas, um, and like if you were to speak, as you are speaking to us right now, what's, what's an encouragement to a church that is, um, yeah, in this place of navigating and praying and, and asking like, God, what would it be that you have us do um, here in Tower? What's an encouragement or two that you would have for us in this time? Yeah, as I was thinking about compassion this week and thinking about um, especially how I've gotten to see our staff work on the grounds, the people that I work with in Sudan or in Haiti or in other countries. Um, compassion is, is presence. You can't have compassion from a distance. Mm, that's good. Um, I think you can have pity from a distance. You can maybe care about a cause from a distance, but you can't have compassion from a distance. Um, actually, the, the root of compassion, I learned this a few years ago, and it just changed the way I thought about it. The Latin root is co, with, and passio, which is suffer, to mm -hmm. suffer with. Um, and so compassion is not just, um, oh, I'll, I'll give you some money or um, do something to try and fix your problem. It's to suffer with somebody. And so I think um, my encouragement would just be that compassion comes with presence, with being engaged with people face to face, directly. Um, you don't have to have a whole lot to give. <laughs> you don't always have to give money. You don't always have to give um, some big thing. Most of the time, what I need and what other people need is someone to be there with me, to listen to me, to care about me, to give me a hug, to support me when I'm struggling. Um, and I think that's what most other people need too. Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, to, to be present with people I is what I would encourage. That's good. Uh, and then for, for you personally, here in Fresno, here in Lowell, um, how have you seen some of this play out? Or do you have an example or two? Yeah, I think I've seen this a lot. I go to church just a few blocks away on ramps, and I've seen this a lot with people who come through the doors who um, may not fit the stereotype of a churchgoer, may not believe in God, may not, uh, may not even have been sober yesterday. Um, but when they come in and they get love, and they get people asking how they're doing, wanting to connect with them, letting them be who they are, not trying to say, oh, you have to be this, you have to dress this certain way, you have to be this certain way to join us, but just saying, who are you? How can I love you? How can we come around you? It really changes, changes the way people think about themselves when you're accepted, and it changes the way that others uh, think about them as well. When we can foster this, this sense of all are welcome, all belong truly, no matter what you look like, what your beliefs are, what you've done, who you were, who you are. Um, it really changes, changes lives. So um, 
so I have friends at on-ramps who um, have come out of addiction or have come out of certain things in their past that they would be ashamed of. And the love that they received is one of the things that allowed them to kind of push through um, and, and kind of take on a new life. So there's a lot of stories, but um, it, it's that presence. To me, it all comes back to the presence. Mm-hmm. People need people. <laughs> people need people to be with them and to be present to them, and that's really what changes things. Yeah, that's good. How can we be praying for you and World Relief right now? Yeah, I think a couple of the big issues in the world that we're looking at right now are um, some of the things you've all been hearing about in the news. Afghanistan is a huge one that we've been focusing on. How do we help those the people who are stuck in Afghanistan, who are trying to get out, and the people who have already gotten out and who are being resettled right now in the U.S. and other countries? Um, that, that's a huge prayer request. The earthquake in Haiti that we've just seen, um, there's still a huge amount of need there. Um, and really just that we would, overall, that we would have the wisdom to engage well and yeah. to not do harm, but that to actually help um, those who are in need. That's good. Well, can we pray? You guys can, can join me how you'd like, and then, uh, yeah, we'll continue from here. So, Father, I just I thank you for Lydia. I thank you for, for her life, her story. I thank you for the work that she's participating in through World, World Relief right now. Um, yeah, I just think how quickly we freaking, we can just forget and look into our own narrow lives and we can forget all the work that you are doing across our world. And there's a lot of things, but one of the, one of the things that binds us all in humanity is need. We all have need. And so, yeah, I just, I just thank you for, for World Relief and what they're doing. Uh, and, and for Lydia, even as she's mentioned, all those that she's being able to work with that are different than her, that, um, yeah, absolutely, cross-culturally and racial, that there are stereotypes um, ahead of time as she goes into this work. Uh, thank you for the transformation that's happening in her. I think for how that is, is bringing life and renewal and restoration, to even just to here in Fresno, uh, as we continue to work in her, as we get to hear her story. Um, may we be reminded of these things and be open to how you're calling us to see other people, how you're calling us to suffer with, how you're, how you're calling us to meet the needs of, um, and not from this place of dependence, but because we know what it is to need. So God, may, may you meet us in our need. May you meet world relief in their need. Uh, and, and may you continue to work through the hands that are doing the work of meeting need. Uh, so God, may, may needs be met and may souls be fed uh, through the work that World Relief is doing. So we, we thank you for them. Uh, just have a blessing over them and thank you for this time. You know, we pray, amen. Lydia, thank you very much. We thank Lydia for being with us this morning. You can leave that there. Yeah, so we're, we're gonna move into a, to a time of ministry here. Um, and I said just a couple more things uh, as, as, as we, we, we take a minute to reflect here. <clears throat> Paul, Paul ends up saying here in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, which I paused on earlier, and he finishes with, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, especially those to the church, especially those to the people of God. And, and what I take from that is that there's something that as the rest of the world is looking on, they, they look here in this building, they look at Midtown, they look at the churches entirely, they look at, at what it means to identify as a follower of Jesus. And they see needs being met. They see people suffering with each other. They see, they see people reaching out in just radical ways. And then they're attracted to that. Because I believe that that's the work that God is up to. 
As he makes himself present in Jesus, he says this, it's captured in Luke 6.36, be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. See, if we want to embody compassion, if we, if we want to see compassion actually work out in our area and then also starting here in the church, it starts with the recognition that God is compassionate. And if we want to experience the compassion of God, we need to recognize that we also have need. And as a starting point for us to actually be able to enter into the stories of others and believe that God can take physical acts and turn them into spiritual acts. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but I can just imagine this world, because like, you look around and you think about some of the, the people in, in, in your life right now. It's, it's, the, it's like the, let's call it the, the co-worker. The, the co-worker who just continues month in, month out, just is like dropping groceries off at like a single mom's house. It's, it's the family member that seems to kind of always text you at the right time and just kind of always saying like, hey, just praying for you. It's, it's the friend that drops the random gift at your house with a note. And you're just reminded about, about being loved. Like, th- these are all ways that we can begin to enter into people's stories. And, like, what does it look like here? I think one invitation for us, and I, this isn't always like a, we need to do more, but uh, joining a Sunday serve team, you know what happens? Like, as we show up and set up some chairs, run some pipe and drapes, serving kids, what starts to happen is that you start to meet people. And you just start to hear when they're pregnant or if they got married or if they're moving a house or if someone's sick or if they just lost someone. I mean, you, you start to hear people's story that then starts to like actually show you their life and you can know the needs that can be met. Because it doesn't happen right here. We don't hear each other's story when we're, we're sitting like this. It happens in, in groups. It happens in uh, the party we're going to have in a few weeks. It, it happens when we're serving here in kids. One of the greatest ways to like, meet a need of a parent is to serve in kids. It actually provides space for them to be off for an hour and a half. They like hang out with other adults, and that doesn't always happen. But we're not just serving in kids, we're actually serving parents. We're serving a family of people. We're trying to create as much space as possible for people to encounter God and to encounter love and encounter each other. So one invitation is just to start here, start right here. Jump on a Sunday surf team. Not just to do more and run around with your head cut off, but to give, to hear story, to learn where need is. And then just keep looking out. I remember in high school, I played football my freshman year, and I got clocked one day so bad. And the play was set up for me to run through this hole and, like, think, oh, my gosh, I'm about to tackle the quarterback. And then someone just, like, just drills me from the side. And the coaches are always yelling, you got to keep your head on a swivel. Like, you have to be looking around left and right. And I think for us, like, can we be looking left and right to the people next to us, to the people in front of us, to the people who live in our neighborhood, the, the cohort? Can, can we be looking for need? Can we be looking at areas in where we can step into the story of other people and what God has to do there? Because he will take physical things that we think are limited and he will do some amazing spiritual things with them if we create the space. So what I want us to do as we're strumming, as we're playing some music, I just, if you trust me, can you close your eyes? Just for a minute here. I first just want you to sit and just recognize your own need. Think about your life right now. What need do you have physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually? Just go down the list. Next, what would it look like to invite God into that need? like to open your hands and say, God, I need help. I need you to meet me. 
third, looking outwards. If you think through your circles of influence, your neighborhood, your workspace, your friend group, who has needs right now in your life? Ask God to bring somebody to mind. And lastly, how may God be calling you to participate compassionately with this need? What's the invitation? It's good. Why don't we stand together? We'll go into this last song. Margaret Mead is a famous anthropologist, and she was teaching a lecture. And one of the students asked her, what was the earliest sign of civilization? And her response was a healed femur bone. Because if you go back to the days of the survival of the fittest, you had to survive. You had to hunt. You had to gather. You had to take care of yourself. And there became a point in which if a healed femur bone takes over six weeks to actually firm up, that means that someone had to do your hunting and gathering for you. Someone had to sit by the bedside and, and, and take care of you. It often meant they had to give up their own hunting and gathering in ways. So the earliest marks was that healed femur bone because it meant that people actually had compassion for one another. So if the first sign of advanced civilization is when we allow ourselves to be moved by the pain of others, to embrace the hurting and to participate in alleviating suffering in the world. May we do that. May Midtown be a place of compassion. May you each be a place of compassion in your neighborhood. May you be a compassionate coworker and a family member. So may we lead from here, more aware of the compassion that God invited us into and the compassion that he has for us.